Right, so it's good to see you all here, and uh, thanks for coming so early. Yeah. So, we're going to look at Luke 14, which is talking about the, the Great Supper. And uh, we're sort of having a bit of a Great Supper, aren't we? It's sort of uh, roast and all that stuff. But especially, of course, the breaking of bread, that's the, that's the true supper. Okay, so, Jesus is invited to a dinner. And he notices how everyone's scrabbling to have the best place at the uh, at the dinner, and he doesn't uh, doesn't particularly like it. So let's uh, read here from uh, Luke 14. And he also said to him who had invited him, "When you make a dinner or a supper, don't call your friends, your brothers and sisters, your kinsmen, that's your relatives, nor your rich neighbours, unless they also invite you and repay you." When you make a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the handicapped, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed because they don't have anything to repay you with, for you shall be recompensed in the resurrection of the just. Well, when your kids uh, go to school, you know, there's some rich kid in, in the class, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to invite him to my birthday party, Let, let's invite him out to our place so that you might get invited down to his place and get, get his sorts of wonderful things. And, you know, that is in all of us. That yes, I will be generous, I will be kind, if there's something in it for me in this life. And the Lord says, don't do this, but go out of your way to do something for which you will get no recompense now. So that you will get a recompense, as he says, in the resurrection of the just. What that means is that you don't get any blessing in that sense for your good deeds now. Because otherwise that would be sort of like a business, wouldn't it? You think, well, if I, uh, if I give 10 quid to that leading person, I'm going to get 20 quid next week. Well, that sounds a good deal. And that is not how it is to be. He says, you do your good deeds, knowing you're not going to get any payback now. And that is a hard thing to think about, because we tend to think pound signs that, oh yeah, this is about money. But you can... You can actually give to people way beyond money. You can give patience, you can give forgiveness, you can give a listening ear. To listen to some people, pretty difficult to listen to some people, but they need it. Um, and if you get no reward now, then you will get a reward in the future. And when will that be, he says, in the resurrection? Well, I'm a bit non-standard on that. I, I don't much go with the idea of sort of floating off to heaven and living sort of playing a harp on a cloud. That would be totally boring for me. Um, but he keeps talking about the resurrection. So what's going to happen? We die, um, go back to dust, and when Jesus comes back, we will be resurrected. As he said, because I live, you will live also. He said, when you're baptised, you go like into the water, that's like you his death, his death becomes your death, you come out of the water so that his resurrection will be your resurrection. And at that resurrection then is the payback time. And that's why for each of us, who we're going to be in forever and ever is a function and is a reflection of how you've lived now. So for example if you did give 10 quid to that, that guy there who didn't pay you back or if you did quietly forgive her for whatever, but nobody knows you did that. And if you did quietly look out 
for the guy next door who has got a, a lot of health issues, uh, and nobody ever saw that, you will get payback in some form forever and ever. So who you are going to be in eternity and who I'm going to be in eternity is all slightly different. It's unique. Because we've each had a unique path in this life. We've each had unique opportunities to not just give money, but to do things for other people. And so we will each have a unique payback, if you like. And of course, we forget things. We forget what we did. Yeah, in another parable, the Lord says that when he comes again, he will say, well done, when I was hungry, you fed me. And the person will say, no, I didn't. I never saw you hungry, Jesus. He will say, yeah. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So, you do forget. You know, that's the function of human memory. We do forget. And that's, in a sense, good, because it's all going to somehow be paid back when Jesus comes back. And that's why... We're looking particularly for the return of Jesus so that then finally in a physical, bodily, material form we actually get the payback. So all the idea of having your name glorified now is not, it's not quite a great thing, is it? Like, for example, if you sponsor something, if you're a big guy in this world, and you sponsor something, your name is put on the building that you sponsored. And that is all jolly good, but the problem is you won't get the payback in the future. If your name is written up, you know, oh, you know, this, this was wonderful thing was done by such and such person, and his name is here. Um, well, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, depends how you take it, if you're the person concerned, but you see what I'm saying? You have your reward. So, he says, when you make a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the handicapped, the lame, and the blind. Now, those categories are the very people who are not allowed to enter into the temple. Remember last week we looked at Zacchaeus, who was uh, a dwarf, and the Jews put what they call a fence around the law. The law said, the Lord Moses said, that if you are handicapped or maimed or whatever, you can't serve as a priest. And they'd taken it further and said, and if you've got any physical deformity, you can't come into the temple. So these were the people who were outside of religion, if you like. They couldn't come into the temple. And so Jesus says, you invite those people to your place and you will be blessed. Not now, you will be blessed. You shall be blessed, it says there you shall be recompensed in the resurrection. So he says, invite the handicapped, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and the poor. So let's just remember that. When one of his dinner guests heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, this man was saying, oh yeah, wouldn't it just be great to be saved? Wouldn't it be great to be in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is going to tell a parable where he says, you know what, mate? Most people don't even want to be there. We'll come to that. And he said to him, now the parable comes. A certain man made a great supper, and he invited many. You connect that in your mind with what the Lord said. Many are called, but few are chosen. 
Many people were invited. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And they all began to make similar excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I need to go out and see it. I pray you, excuse me. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to test them. I pray you, have me excuse. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, in those days, you invited somebody, if you were like a king or a great guy, you invited someone to your feast, and then you sent somebody to escort them to the feast. It's rather like inviting somebody to a very plush party, and you arrange a taxi to go and pick them up, bring them to the party, and a taxi will take them home. Right? So they've been invited, and they've sort of agreed. And now the servant is sent to escort them. And having agreed to come, they all make stupid excuses. He sent his servant at supper time. So this is in the evening. Right? It's an evening party. Supper is in the evening. And he says, come, for everything is now ready. So everything has been prepared for us to come into God's kingdom. It's all been set up. Jesus said, when he's talking about his death on the cross, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house are many rooms, and I am going to prepare a room for each of you. So actually, the nature of our reward, if you like, our eternity, however you want to look at it, our place in God's kingdom, will be unique. Because we are all unique people with, with unique personalities, unique history in life, and we are going to have a unique place in God's kingdom. Salvation is personal. As Jesus said, you will see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. So we will in that sense recognize each other. I personally, you personally will be saved. I as the sum of all that happened to me, all the formative processes that were on me, you likewise, we are unique personalities. We have a unique iris, we have a unique fingerprint and so on. And we personally will be saved. Yeah? I, the little boy who went to primary school in Cooper's Lane in, uh, in, in Lewisham, who wears glasses, whatever. I, you, we will be saved. And we will recognize each other. And that is what gives a great um, meaning to the quality of our relationships with each other. Yeah? I will be with Beatrice forever. I will be with Michael Morris. I'll be with Kevin. We will be with each other forever. And that affects your relationships with each other now. Particularly, I might say, when it comes to marriage, stuff like that. If you're both believers, um, yeah, you're going to go on together forever. So you better sort it out now. <laughs> As it were. And so, this is wonderful, that we will not just disappear, like in uh, sort of Buddhism, you know, in just non-existence. No, nirvana, non-existence. No, no, no. We will exist as people. And, you know, this life is not the end. Otherwise, life is so tragic. It will be so tragic. This is all we've got. No matter how fantastic you think your life is, it doesn't last for long, and it's soon game over, and it wasn't as great as, as you thought it was going to be when you were a teenager, and it's not great, let's face it. 
But the future is wonderful. And you personally will be saved. God has got a number on you. God knows you exactly how you are. So, they all, verse 18, they all began to make similar excuses. I said before, we were looking at the parable of the lost sheep and all that, uh, and the prodigal uh, son, that in all the parables there's something that is unusual, something that is weird. And it's that unusual bit which sort of flags our attention. And the unusual bit here is that all of them said, now, nah, actually I've got a, I can't come, I've got a reason. Even though I said I was going to come, they sent a taxi to pick me up, or in this case sent a servant to escort me to the party, I, I can't come. And I think that just shows the pain that there is to God. I mean, the, the man who made the great supper would have been bitterly disappointed. You imagine, you set up a great big party, and then people say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, and you've got your guest list, and none of them came. This is unusual. But that pain, that hurt to the person who's made the supper, who's got the meal ready and all that, and lo and behold, nobody pitches. They promised to, but they didn't. You know? That is the, the, the hurt of God. And let's face it, it says, he invited many people. Many are called, but few are chosen. So, many people. God is trying with millions of people. And they make dumb excuses. Now let's see how dumb these excuses are. The first guy says, I bought a field, and I need to go out and see it. Do you uh, buy blind? Especially in those days. You first see the field, and then you buy it. And probably you go and see it many times and have it surveyed and have a good look around it. These days we have the internet and all that sort of thing. But in those days, you didn't do that. This is not true. And it's supper time, it's evening time. Ding dong, come on, it's time to go to the party that you agreed to go to. Ah, oh, no, I've got to go and see the field. Well, in the evening, I pray you, excuse me, and the other said, I've bought five yoga boxes, and I'm going to test them. I pray you, have me excused. Uh, what I used to do in those days was, and I've probably done over here in this country as well, there was like a field where you could go and test animals that were for sale, typically might have been on a, on a weekend, and you tested the animals. How well can this horse run? How fast can it run? How well can these oxen plough? And you test them, particularly five yoga of oxen, you would test them. How well can they plough? What are these animals like? Are they, do they look sick? Are they going to last for a bit? And then you bought them. This guy says, I bought five yoga of oxen, but I've now got to go and test them. No, no, no. You test them and then you buy them. The other guy says, well, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come, haven't I? It's evening. Uh, well, you just got married. Just, you said you were going to come. Ding dong, come on, you agree to come to the party. Uh, I, well, I just got married, actually. This is all rubbish, right? This is all nonsense. And you can feel the pain of the man who's made the supper. Now, we are here to keep the equivalent of the Last Supper. 
And I know we got a roast and all that, we'll just forget about the roast. <laughs> the, the real supper is the bread, which is Jesus, as he says. My flesh is the true food, is the true food. And my blood is the true one, the true life. And so we have all been invited to that supper. And it is Jesus, if you like, who is the lamb that was slain. When we said, who wants chicken, who wants beef, who wants turkey, who wants lamb? I think more if you wanted lamb than anything else. So the lamb, at some point, had to be slain to feed you guys who want lamb. Now, the lamb that's slain, of course, is the Lord Jesus. It's all there, it's all been prepared. And people make dumb excuses. Now, if you've done any, any preaching of the gospel, if you've just dared to just raise the question of Jesus Christ with anybody, you will have heard all the dumb excuses. I'm busy. Um, I've got to, um, or I've got to uh, finish my degree, or I've got to, um, I'm busy with my job, or um, you know, all these dumb excuses. I can't. Uh, yeah, maybe later, but no, no, no. no. All these excuses are dumb. They are as dumb as the excuses that are made here. And all right, we're reading this in English, right? But of course, the it was written in, in Greek. And you know how in English some words have two meanings? And that is the same in Greek. And the word they have in Greek for excuse, excuse me, is the same word for reject. Please reject me. Please take me off the list. If we're honest, every single one of us worries a little bit about what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment. We go to all of us here will come to the day of judgment, and we think, well, is Jesus going to accept me or reject me? And I think the point is, he will not reject anybody, but you can reject yourself. You can say, I pray you, please reject me. Please take my name off the list. If you really don't want to be there, you won't be there. I mean, it's no good giving someone eternal life who doesn't want eternal life. I mean, they're going to be like some sort of war, right? Um, you know, for living forever, being good. You know? Oh, no, you know, they're going to be boring. So, that's a huge comfort. Because, you know, who wants to live forever in God's kingdom? Well, I definitely do. I want to be there. Am I going to be there? I think you've got to come on a day of judgment. Yeah. And Jesus says, I judge no man in the sense of I reject nobody. It is up to us. Do you want to be there? And in one sense, all you've got to do is say yes. And really mean that do you want to live forever? Yes. In God's kingdom. You're not. Not incredible, thanks very much. Um, but do you want to live, live forever? Yes, I do. In God's kingdom. Absolutely. All my heart, soul, and mind. But I'm weak. Yeah, we're all weak. That is taken care of. So, no silly excuses. Because what you see here is how petty little things distract people. Petty things. Oh, I can't. I can't. Even. There's a bigger world out there. The bigger world is that God loves you. The Lord Jesus died for you. The Lamb has been slain. You're invited to the supper. 
Now, you see how it starts. This dinner guest, he said to him, Blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Oh, wouldn't that just be great to uh, be in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is saying, Yeah, but you know what? Most people don't want it, even when it's put to them on a plate. And that is so sad. So don't be like this dinner guest who has this passing interest in these things. A passing interest. That, oh yeah, I'm not against. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Um, no, no, no. If this is for real, which it is, <clears throat> that we can live forever and ever in God's kingdom, right? this is not a hobby. This is not something you pick up and play with on a Sunday afternoon every week or every couple of weeks. Some passing interest. This takes your life. This takes all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Absolutely. And any excuse you make against that is as dumb as these excuses. Well, this eating bread in the kingdom of God, the return of Jesus is sort of likened to a great feast. There will be a great feast when Jesus comes. And he says, and I will serve you, which I think is beautiful. Can you imagine sitting, putting these tables together, got you know one long table, and we're all sitting here in the pub um, having our meal, and then, wow, Jesus comes up, oh, I'm going to serve you guys. But I don't know, you have the best place. But you see, that is how he is. And when he comes again, he says, I will serve you. And when he gives them the last supper, he takes the bread and says, this is my body, represents my body. And he takes the wine and he says, this represents my blood. I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it again with you in my Father's kingdom. Which, oh, there's a lot of symbolic stuff in the Bible, but that, I think, is literal. He takes the cup and says, well, this has got fruit of the vine in it. I will not drink any more of this until I drink it again with you in my Father's kingdom, which I will take literally. Right, there's a literal glass of wine he held in his hand, and he says, and I will drink this again with you in my Father's kingdom. So there will be some feast where, well, I see it literally, why not? There will be literally, we will even drink with him in his kingdom. It's just amazing. So what we're doing now when we take the bread and the cup. This is a little foretaste of how we will be in God's kingdom. And that's why we, you know, we should um, relate to it seriously. That what we're doing is acting out, if you like, how we will, in the future, do this again with each other and with Jesus, literally. You remember what he says, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Right? So, where we are gathered together now in this pub, he is here. He is here, in the midst of us. Absolutely in the midst of us. Just we don't see him. Whereas, when he comes back, and again we do this, he will be there, visibly and actually. Now, let's not be like this dinner guest who says, Oh yeah, blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I think that would be cool. Yeah, as Jesus says, really? Most people don't want it. Most people actually don't want it. They might have a passing interest that that's cool, but they don't want it. Now, we are the few who have said yes. 
And so what we do in obscurity and in humility here in this pub, taking advertently the wine or the cup in memory of, of Jesus' death and uh, resurrection, his body, his blood, this is actually what we shall do in God's kingdom. Well, the servant came and told his master these things, and the master of the house was angry. Yeah, because it was like a slap in the face. I've done all this for you guys, and you agreed, and then you pulled out of it. He said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Now, I ask you to just remember that, <coughs> because, see verse 13, Jesus said, When you make a feast, invite the poor, and maimed, the lame, and the blind. And then we are told in the parable that because the others didn't want it, you've got to go out and invite the poor, maimed, blind, and lame in certain categories to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the servant said, Master, what you did command is done, still there is room. Well, in those days, there was sort of a deference. And, uh, you know, the servant, the slave, only did what the bus said, and he didn't use a lot of initiative. But this one has taken the initiative. He says, actually, sir, yeah, I already did that. And Jesus says, I have not called you servants, I have called you friends. Which I think is lovely, because what he's saying is, yeah, you know, I am your master, and you are my servants, but in that relationship we are friends. And so you see there that there is some uh, sort of Initiative, some space for initiative in our service of God. It's no good saying, well, I'll wait until God tells me to go and put a tract in that letterbox over there. When he does, I'll go do it. No. We work with him on our own initiative. And you see that with the servant here. He says to the master, um, yes, I've actually done that. And still there is room. You see there's an urgency. Go out quickly. Go out quickly. I would suggest that maybe the story is fulfilled in that the Jews, who were God's intended uh, people, didn't want the message. They said they agreed to it, but then they turned it down and they crucified their own king. And so there's a sense of urgency. Look, the dinner's getting cold. The dinner is on the table. The lamb has been slain. The food is prepared and it's going cold. Uh, and there's not enough people to eat it. This is tragic. And still there is room. The master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. Go. Well, I think that's the equivalent of the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. Go to the highways and hedges. This is to totally homeless people who live in edges, and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. And I think the idea of that is that there are a specific number of places in the kingdom of God. There's more places in the kingdom of God than there are people to fill them. And there's a tragedy in all this that the places are there, but there's nobody. They don't come in. It's like here in the pub. Well, I mean, the bar is full. We don't even have enough chairs to sit on. 
But let, let's imagine that there was only three of us, and we ordered 30 meals. And those meals are going to come anyway. What would we do? We'd go out onto the street out there and say, hey, mate, you want a free meal? That's what we'd do, right? And so that is how it is with the gospel. There are places of eternity and glory in God's kingdom, and there's, there's more places than there are people who want to take it up. So, yes, once you get that, you're motivated to go out and compel them to come in. Almost to drag them. And I think you can say that as time goes on in the story, there becomes a greater urgency to just get anybody, any old one, who says yes. And we believe that we are living in the last days, that the Lord Jesus will very soon return to be in our generation. And what that means is that we here who have been called, who have said yes, who have come in and we're going to break bread, we're going to say yes, I've agreed to this, I've accepted the invitation. We are the poor, maimed, blind, lame, we are actually the people in the highways and the hedges. That's every single one of us. We're, it's like the bar is lowered over time in the story. So that look, anyone who says yes can come in. And we've said yes. And you think, why was there such a difficulty in filling the supper, in filling all the places? Well, I think it was disbelief that this could be for real. Yeah? Like, let's imagine we have 30 meals ordered, there's only three of us sitting here, and we go out onto the street and say, hey guys, look, there's meals ready in the pub, Can you please come in and eat it for free. There's a lot of people that say, no, there's a catch. There's a catch here. Nothing is free in this world. It is free. Honestly, mate, I promise you, the meal is just going cold. Uh, honestly, no, you haven't got to pay anything. It's just there. It's on the table. You please come in and eat it, because otherwise you have to chuck it. Some people, a lot of people would say, no, there's a catch. But actually, there is no catch. Genuinely, there is no catch. And that is where we find it difficult engaging with God's grace. That grace is a pure gift. That's what the idea of grace is. A gift not on the basis of anything. It's not like the UK or America or somebody being super kind to some poor country somewhere. Well, yes, they actually want a station there. I don't know, their weapons there, or they want some advantage from that. They want that country to trade with them, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's true that, that, that there's really little real grace in this world. Everything is like the cheese and the mouse trap. You know, there are people who say, oh, free offer. Uh, this, that, and the other. You read the small print. Or whatever it is, it's advertising for the company. There's always a motive there. And we see that in, in relationships, don't we? That, that people offer you this, that, and the other, but they also come to the table with what they want out of you. And that, that's always how it is. And this is why when we encounter God's grace in its purity, we are sort of taken back, because this is unusual. We have never encountered that kind of grace, that kind of gift and generosity, 
in our human relationships. You didn't encounter it even in family life. Because love of children to parents, parents to children, subconsciously there is an expectation of something back. But God's grace is pure in a way that no human being can be that pure. I just want to give it to you. And there is no catch. And so it is with these places in God's kingdom. You've just got to say yes and come in on time. It's quite right that we wonder, well, okay, does that mean I can live just how I want? Well, yes and no. Um, no in, in the sense that if you believe this, right, if you see the wonder of it, it will change you. It will change you. You will be different. And yes, in the sense that you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to tick all the boxes. You're never going to be perfect in this life. And that's how it is. You're not going to be perfect. So, okay, unfortunately. That, there's only one perfect human being, and that's the Lord Jesus. You've got to see it. That's how it is. John says it. You say you don't sin, you're a liar. We all are sinners. That's how it is. But the bigger picture is, look, these places are there in God's kingdom and all you've got to do is say yes. And there is no catch. There may be catches to religion, there may be catches to churches. Yes, oh yes, well, do come along, you're most welcome. And when the honeymoon period is over, oh, well, <coughs> you realise you have to tithe. Um, and the church does need some money at the moment. Ah, there you are. Mamma mia. You know, here we go again. And, you know, that is that is. But, so there may be catches with religion. There may be catches with churches. Everything human. But with God, there is no catch there. There is no catch. The places are there to be taken. But my house may be filled. Verse 23. I would say that there is a specific number of people who need to be baptised, who need to come and say yes to the place in the kingdom, and when that number is reached, Jesus comes back. That is why when they say to him, when will you return, basically, he says, go and preach the gospel. He doesn't give them a calendar date. He says, go and witness to me. Or he says specifically, when this gospel of the kingdom has gone into all the world, then shall the end come. That's why I don't think there is a calendar date. Jesus is going to come on the 6th of January 2026 at 3.46 in the afternoon, Jerusalem time. No. I don't think God has got a date circled with a red, you know, red circle around it. What he's given us is conditions. It is like you may say to a child, if you pass that exam and if you without fail clean your room every day for a month, you will get a bicycle. Or whatever it might be. Well, yes, you will get a bicycle on such and such a day when you fulfill the conditions. So I don't think there is... In that sense, a fixed date, there are conditions. And the quicker we get out there and drag people in, the quicker it will come. And that's one reason I'm always saying to people, you want to be baptized? Be baptized. Accept Jesus Christ. You have nothing to lose. And yet, all the time, people are nervous. What's the catch? Trying to drag me into a, into a church, drag me into a religion. 
want to do. They're glad we want to do that. I'm certainly not trying to do that. And this is for all of us. To, yeah, this is our mission. In one sense, we are the people who live in the highways and the hedges, the, the blind and the lame who've been brought in. Yeah? In another sense, we are the servant who has been told, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Like this servant is told, go, go into the highways and hedges and compel them. So we have got to persuade people, to persuade people of God's love, to persuade people that there is no catch, that all you have to do is say yes, and people say, oh, but I'm not good enough, I'm not ready. Yeah, you will never be ready. People keep telling me that. Oh, but you don't know me, I've got all these weaknesses. You don't know me, I've got some addictions. You don't know me, I'm this, I'm not a very good person. And I say, I don't doubt what you're saying, do you mean to tell me that in six months' time, in a year's time, in six years' time, you're going to stand in front of me, bright and bushy-tailed, and say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm ready now, I'm, I, I, I don't smoke anymore, I, I don't do this anymore, I'm like, no, you're not No, you're not going to be like that. And even if you did, I'd say, oh, you're obviously not ready then. <laughs> because you're not ready if that's your attitude. You come as sinners. We all come as sinners. As the... Uh, the, the, the maimed, the blind, the lame, the people on the highways and hedges who are like, what? You invited me to the banquet of a king? Are you for real? <coughs> yeah? Okay. And you imagine, finally, how these people would have felt as they sat there. Homeless folks, blind, lame, etc. Sitting there at this wonderful banquet. They would have felt very maybe awkward, and thinking, oh, I don't believe this. This is amazing. Me, little me, what am I doing here? And we need to get something of that as we break bread. What am I doing here? What, what am I doing? Yeah, that, we are, when we take that bread and cup, we are, we are at the Lord's banquet. And he's got a special number on us. And but what am I doing here? Me? Well, I shouldn't be here. But we are. By the way, for those who struggle with the issue of being told by some churches, oh, you can't take communion. You can't, you, you can't take communion because you, you smoke or because you, uh, the elders are concerned about you. Or you can't take, take the communion because um, well, you're not a member, uh, because uh, you tithe, because you whatever. No. I know it's very painful, but here you can, of course, you're all welcome. Um, let's just be grateful that we can take that bread of wine, that we, that I am at the Lord's table. But don't lose the wonder. Don't lose the wonder. The absolute wonder that I, who should not be here, I'm here. And let's remember the actual presence of Jesus. That where two or three are gathered together, and we're 30 people gathered together, or whatever, there am I in the midst of you. It's an amazing reality. And of course, we don't uh, sense it to the end, as we should do. Uh, but when Jesus comes back, believe me, we will again take bread, wine, sit down to a meal together, and faith will be turned aside, and we will see you. As he is.
So let's just give thanks to God for the bread and the Lord God, Heavenly Father, we take this bread and this cup as we've been commanded, as symbols of your Son's body and his blood. And who are any of us, who am I, that I should be here? We do thank you from the bottom of our hearts for it, Father. And we do find it all a bit strange that you should have had a special number on us and brought us here and brought us to this moment. And we just pray that we will abide with you. And Father, you know, we trust you. We trust you that you will not turn another face. We do not believe you will. We know there is no catch to this place, that this is real. And Father, we've said yes to you in all our weakness that we have. We've said yes to you, and we trust you. And we believe you to the end. So we take this cup, we remember what the Lord Jesus said, that I will not drink of this fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now I wonder if he had in mind that the priests were told, while you're on duty, you can't drink wine. It's as if he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven now, I'm going to be on duty for you guys, offering up your prayers, interceding for you, caring for you and when I'm off duty then I can drink wine again so I'm going away now I'm going to go on duty but when I return we will drink this wine again together uh, Kevin would you like to give thanks to the, the cup Father in the name of Jesus Christ Lord I want to thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us Lord I pray Lord that you will bless us with ten Bless each and every one of us as we celebrate you in your death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Senior Centre Stage, darling, would you like to give thanks for the food? <laughs> let's be grateful, even if you didn't get chicken, even if you didn't get what you asked for. Right, let's just uh, give thanks for the food. Okay, darling? Dear God, we thank you that we can be here together, that we can remember your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us and who gave us so much. Thank you for his example. Help us to think about him this week and to try and live like he did. Thank you for this too and for all the blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.